and you may be seated. We turn in God's word this evening then to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we are on a series of messages in our evening on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and in case you missed it, uh, we will pick up the book of Leviticus uh, in the new year and uh, begin again our, our study of Leviticus uh, after this season uh, has passed. But in the evenings, uh, for most evenings, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. Let's hear then God's word to us, his breathed out word, in the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now we have dealt with some of this uh, in previous messages, so we are picking it up as far as our text is concerned at verse 5 through verse 7 for tonight, but we'll set it in context starting at verse, er, verse 1 chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Thus far, again, the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you will bless Pastor Bob with recollection of the things that he has studied and open minds to the congregation and those that are hearing this message that we might go forth into this week uh, edified by your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And amen. Tonight we'll look at three things from this passage under the message entitled The One Mediator. First of all, the identity. Who is this one mediator that Paul speaks of? Secondly, what is the function of this one mediator? What, what does it mean to be a mediator? And then thirdly, to put this in context. Why is Paul now speaking of a one mediator in the midst of where we are in the book of 1 Timothy, in the book of Timothy, in the context of Timothy's situation and Paul's instructions to him, but also then God's instructions to you and I as well. So first of all, the identity. Well, verse 5 lays it out pretty clearly, doesn't it? For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So the identity is given to us, but yet it's interesting, isn't it, how Paul describes Jesus Christ in this passage. He says, the man, Christ Jesus, the man. And I can't help but think of the providences of God where 
This morning, we're dealing with the begotten Son and all that that means and and all that, that we're at there, and yet there is the human identity of Jesus as well. There is that human nature that Jesus carries. He is indeed born of a woman. He is like us in every way, sin being the only exception to that as far as humanity is concerned. So it's the man. Yes, he needs to underscore that. Yes, he needs to mention that. Yes, that needs to be known. Already, you see, in the New Testament times, there are debates going on by those who never knew Jesus as to who Jesus really is. Some are already beginning to say, he didn't really ever become a human. That was, that was just sort of like an apparition. That, that was just a, a ghost. That, 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 that wasn't really a man. There are debates about when he actually became the man. Some are saying, well, well that really only happened at a certain point in time in his life and in his ministry. And so there are constant debates going on, and that might be part of what is behind where Paul is telling Timothy, you need to go back to Ephesus and you need to deal with those who are teaching a different doctrine. They're swerving, they're curving, they're going off the straight, they're going off that which is the true and right doctrine. Because you see, as soon as you go off, the wrong direction in who Jesus Christ truly is, you're going to go off on a different tangent in terms of salvation as well. And if you go off on a different tangent of salvation, you go off on a different tangent in in terms of who is Jesus Christ. So yes, it was necessary. It seems kind of odd to us. seems kind of strange. I don't know when you read it, if you strike that. You know, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. But it certainly brings in all of our understanding of the fact that Jesus Christ is fully human in his nature. But then he says it's not just the man, but Christ Jesus What an amazing thing Paul is doing here because he is tying together in this phrase not only the humanity of Christ, but the divinity of Christ. No human is Christ other than the one who is the God-man, other than the one who is the Word made flesh, other than the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, other than the one who is the only begotten Son of God. He is Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one. And just as I emphasized a few moments ago, there were people who were, who were denying the humanity of Jesus. There were also those, as well as there continue to be those, who deny the divinity of Jesus. Oh, he's just, a, he's, he's just another good person. He's just another example. He's, he was a good teacher. He was a good rabbi. Most of the Jewish nation understood him in that terms and in that context. Did I accept his divinity? Never. 
And yet Paul has told us that, that the one who is the mediator is not only the man, but is also the divine Christ, the Son of God, the begotten Son of God. Not an extra. See, this is why it becomes so important for us to understand that, that term begotten as best as we can, as best as we can but that we at least dismiss it from false views as to what it means. But this is the word in flesh. This is God dwelling amongst us. And in that capacity, he is the mediator. And notice that Paul emphasizes this in verse 5. For there is one God and there is one one mediator. There's just one. Just as there is but one God over all men. There are not multiple gods. There are are not other gods. Just the figments of men's imaginations. Just the pretense of what men's hearts come up with. Just the idols that we invent. There are not other gods. There is no other God. There is but one God. And just as there is but one God who is over all men, there is but one mediator who has been appointed on behalf of men. Just one. None other. So when we get down to the work and to the function in a few moments, understand there is but one. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We've been reading in our devotions about uh, Moses up on the mountain uh, after the Israelites have uh, worshipped the golden calf and uh, dealing with the wrath of God and the anger of God and God who has said, okay, you guys go on, I'm not going with you anymore. And Moses up on the mountain pleading on behalf of the people, please, please don't do that. If, if you, I'd, I'd rather have you go with the people and get rid of me. Please go with us. And, and as you read through the chapters, this, this drama that unfolds between God and Moses. And God then saying, okay, I renew the covenant. I come back and I renew the covenant with my people, Israel. Yes, he's functioning as a mediator. But but it's not the mediator. It's not the one mediator. Moses can do nothing about people's sin. Moses can do nothing about atonement. Moses can do nothing about salvation. Moses is so limited. He's only being there a shadow of that which Christ Jesus, the man, came to do. Christ Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. As Paul has told us back in chapter 1 of this passage. So what is the function, secondly, of a mediator? What, What is that job? Well, put it simply, it's a person or... Someone who who acts as a go-between between between two parties, between two 
sets or two groups or an individual in a group. It's somebody who, who walks, as it were, in the middle of that. It's an arbitrator, would be one way to describe a mediator. An intermediary, intermediary. Somebody who enters in to the middle, especially in terms of, of, a, of a squabble. They're the one who, who comes to seek to bring peace in the midst of hostilities. This is one definition of a mediator that gets very little attention. Because we could say, yes, in, in all of those ways, Jesus functions. He certainly does. But one way of describing the work of a mediator is in this way. One who guarantees the performance of all the terms stipulated in a covenant. One, get that again, one who guarantees the performance of all the terms stipulated in a covenant. If there is a description of the word mediator that fits Paul's use of it here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's it. That's what Christ Jesus, the man, has come to do. He has come to fulfill and guarantee the performance of the terms of the covenant that God has made, that God has enacted, in order that he might appease a righteous and holy God, in order that he might step in and represent God's elect people in the midst of the covenant. He is the one, you see, who is indeed walking between the split halves of the, of the animal of God's covenant with Abram. Abram's not doing anything. He's in some sort of sleep. It's God who's doing everything. It's God who is the smoking fire pot that goes in between. A picture for us once again of the foreshadowing of that which is to come with Christ. Here he comes. The one who dies between earth and heaven. The one who is lifted up that he might give his life as a ransom for many. Don't underestimate that. Don't look past that. Don't look past where, where Christ is dying. His feet not upon the earth. His hands not in heaven. But the one who is the in-between. The go-between who is fulfilling and guaranteeing all aspects of the covenant. This is what a mediator does. For there is one God over all men, and there is one mediator appointed by God for men. We've already, secondly, talked about the parties. Who is he mediating between? But let's clarify. Christ is mediating and doing his work as a mediator between a holy God and sinful people. God's sinful, chosen, elect people. 
Christ is the mediator between those two parties. A righteous God, a holy God, who cannot, who cannot look past your and my sin. And you and I, who are incapable of meeting the demands of a holy God. He is the mediator between the creator and the creature. He is the mediator, as we said this morning, between the finite and the eternal. There's so many ways in which we can look at and look into how it is that Christ functions as this one unique mediator. For you see, as as the Puritans used to say, Christ is the one who's able to shake hands on both sides. And it's only Christ. It's only Christ because of his being. It's only Christ because he is human and divine. It's only Christ because he is the begotten son of God. It is only Christ because he is perfectly holy and pure. Yet, totally understands our frustrations and what it's like to live in this world. He functions as that one Mediator. There is no one else. There is no other name given amongst men by which we can be saved. That's it. Does that make us exclusive? Absolutely. Absolutely. It might even be safe to say we're probably the most exclusive religion on earth. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells me. That's what God tells me. That's what God does. And yet, and yet, what have we read over and over and over and over again? All, 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 all. Yes, it's exclusive, but not to a certain race. Not to a certain nationality. Not to a certain economic status. Not to a certain educational level. But he is the mediator of all men. Of people from every sort, every variety, every background. Every sin that you can name. Christ is the mediator for. It's not like there's some sin we commit and it's like, well, we got to do something more than Christ for this one. No. It's always Christ. And even those little sins that we think, oh, well, you know, that doesn't take Christ. Yes, it does. Every sin, large, small, takes the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, then, let's look at the context in which Paul gives this. I think we need to frame this, because this isn't just uh, a verse torn out and, oh yeah, he's the one mediator. This discussion of the one mediator fits into what Paul has been writing. How do we know that? Because it's the Holy Spirit who is inspiring and God is a law, God of order, not of chaos. God is not the God of randomness. God is the God of order. So we know this fits. How? How does it fit? Well, I want you to look at the largest part of this picture 
of this context. It's the good warfare. It's that which Paul has called Timothy to do. Go back to Ephesus, deal with those who are teaching a different doctrine. See, those who teach, especially within the doors of the church, that there is a different way of salvation other than grace through Christ alone, need to be confronted. Those who teach something else other than grace, faith, Christ alone need to be handled. And it calls for war. It calls for battle. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul does not use warfare imagery. When he's discussing with the Corinthians, is it okay to eat food, sacrifice to idols or not? Paul doesn't say, go on the war path for this one. You bet. This is where we need to be war. We need to put on our spiritual armor. We need to fight. Well, Paul gives us truth. Paul helps us understand with it. But Paul, Paul is not, this is warfare time. He doesn't even do it when it comes to those folks in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, who are the Pentecostals of the day. Doesn't say, now it's time for warfare. We need to put an end to this. Hand them over to Satan. No. It's interesting. See, when you study God's word, when you study the truths of it, you begin to understand that there are certain times when God says, this is what you fight over. This is warfare material. These other things, yes, it doesn't mean they're unimportant, but they're not warfare. This isn't where we go to battle. We're not going to live and die on that sword. We're going to live and die on this one. This is what we're going to fight for. What's this? Grace by faith in Christ alone. That's what Paul is calling Timothy. You need to deal with those men there in Ephesus. So it's in the context, you see, of this one mediator, this one God overall, this one mediator that is given for mankind. That you and I are called to the good warfare. Secondly, it's in regards to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 4. God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It is this, this truth, this, this, this body of truth that becomes so essential to the church, to the honor and glory of God. I mean, you think about this passage back in Revelation, right? Heaven's rejoicing over what? 
over a lamb who was slain and by your blood have ransomed people for God. That whole issue of Christ as the lamb who sheds his blood to ransom people is what heaven sings about. It's what brings glory and honor to God. Does that raise the importance of this? Absolutely. That's what Paul has been focusing on. All doctrinal truth in regards regarding salvation hinges on this truth that Jesus Christ, the man, is the mediator. There is no salvation apart from that truth. That's why there needs to be the good warfare fought. But notice then, thirdly, that that takes place within the, the, the context of Paul urging prayer. The means of this good warfare, as we dealt with last Lord's Day, first of all, is by prayer. Prayer for all kinds of people, because God desires all kinds of people to come to a knowledge of the truth, which is what? That there is one God overall and that there is one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. In this context of prayer, Paul is saying there is but one who mediates between us and the God. And in the context of prayer, how true this is. There is no other name by which we can approach the Father other than the name of Jesus. There is no one else that we can go through. No Mary, no saint, no hero of the faith. No one else is a name by which we can come to the Father. Even in terms of our prayers. There is but one mediator. The man, Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. Gave himself as a ransom. Let me just clarify it again. I want you to just, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it needs to be dealt with. Go with me to Luke chapter 21. I want you to see, biblically, how this word all gets used. And not let us be thrown off by it. Those of you in adult Sunday school, we're going we're, we're to have to deal with this with Mr. Finney next Sunday morning, Lord willing. Luke 21, 38. I'll, I'll, let's go back to 37 and 38. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. All. Who's the all? All the people. Who's all the people? Who are all the people? Every citizen of Jerusalem was there in the temple. 
the hundreds of thousands of pilgrims who are in Jerusalem at this time for Passover? All the people? Everybody who lives in Judea? How about all Jews throughout the world? Well, no, if we're really going to take it, all the people would mean all the people. Everybody who is alive at that moment must have been in the temple courts because it says all. Temple courts can't contain all. Because all means of every sort, of every variety, of every kind. There were people from nations gathered there. All the people. Those people that we read about that that are present at Pentecost. From all those different places. All the people. Some of them rich. Some of them poor. And as we come to that understanding, then what glorious freedom there is when we come to this verse, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That verse isn't teaching us some universal atonement that everybody's going to be saved in the end. And if you ever run into somebody who who says, no, all means all, well, go back to Luke, okay, chapter 21, 38, and say, does all always mean all in the sense that Oh, our creature mind understands it. Or do we have to take it in the context in which it is? Does God's word, other places, limit who it is that is saved? Yes, Jesus himself said it. I come to die for those that you have given to me. Not everyone. He gave his life for a ransom for all. Meaning that no one can ever say, well, I'm from this continent. Christ didn't die for people on our continent. No, he did. I speak this language. Christ didn't die for people with this language. Yes, he did. Well, I'm so poor, I live under a bridge. Christ doesn't die for people who... Yes, he did. Well, I'm wealthy. I have everything I need in money. I don't need a savior. Yes, you do. And Christ died for the wealthy as well as for the poor. My skin color is different than others, but Christ died for all, every kind of person, every kind of sinner that there is. He gave his life as a ransom for all. This one mediator This man, Christ Jesus, the only mediator we have, this gift of God came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. He gave his life as a ransom. Notice as well that when we look at this, it's interesting Verse 6, he gave himself as a ransom. Jesus has already already declared in John chapter 10 verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Could Jesus have stopped the crucifixion? Absolutely. At any moment, 
That's basically his, his, his conversation with Pilate. You don't get it. You don't understand the power of the kingdom that I represent. He gave himself willingly. Remember that, that hymn I shared one year? He could have called 10,000 angels, right? He could have. But he gave himself. This one mediator. Nobody forces him. There wasn't some conversation in heaven where the father grabs the son by the lapels of his glorious robe and says, now you go down there and you die for them people. Oh, yeah, dad, sure, okay. Because remember, that's not really what's happening when it's the begotten son, is it? See how these things have to fit together? He goes. He gave himself. Including, yeah, I'll go. I'll live inside of that woman for nine months. I'll grow and develop. Just like every one of us has done. I'll do that in order that I might give myself as a ransom for those that you have given to me. He gave himself. Secondly, in terms of that ransom, he substitutes himself. He gave himself as a ransom. He becomes the ransom. He becomes the one that steps in. He becomes the substitute. The atonement is accomplished only by the fact that Christ put himself in your and my position. In the commentary, one of the commentaries I have regarding this, he quotes an author who says the following in regards to the contemporary church of today. Even those who regard themselves as faithful conservers of the Trinitarian and Christological orthodoxy of the ancient creeds have largely abandoned atonement language and with it talk of salvation through Christ's death on the cross has weakened. It's exactly right. Cheap grace. No more bloody sacrifice on the cross. No more substitution. You just got to pull it out of yourself. Deep down within you, there exists that which you need to be saved. You just need to pull it out. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you will survive. He gave himself as a ransom, as a substitute in our place. Third, in regards to the ransom, it is a ransom. It's a payment. Who's the payment made to? I'm not going to ask out loud because I I think I might get the wrong answer. Because I think a lot of us would probably answer, or many Christian folk would answer the question, who does the ransom paid to? We would say, well, to Satan. 
Christ made the ransom to Satan. He paid Satan in order that we might come out from being his captives. That's not who the payment is made to. The payment is made to the justice of God. God's justice demands. Right? When when we get in trouble with the court, it is the court to whom we pay. We don't pay the prosecutor. Satan is our prosecutor. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. He loves to remind us of our sin. But the one who paid is Christ. And he pays it to the judge of all the earth. It is God's justice that has been satisfied. It is God's justice that has been appeased by the one mediator. The man. Christ Jesus. And he gave it timely. Listen to how this goes, right? Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Right? We have that in Galatians chapter 4, 4, at just the right time. Right? Christ comes born of a woman born under the law. It's what Paul says in Romans at just the right time when we were weak and incapable of saving ourselves. At just the right time, Christ offers himself as the ransom for the judgment that fell upon us because of our sins. And he satisfies the demands of the justice of a holy God. For you and for me. That you see is the basis for Paul's call. But it's not just Paul's call. It's for you and me. This is the reason. We live. For the glory of God. And this is the reason why we have been commissioned by Christ himself. To be his witnesses in the world. Listen to Paul. Starting at five. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. For this, for what? For, for this, for what? What's the this? This truth. That Jesus Christ has come into the world. To save sinners. That's the message. That we are to bring to the world. In our words. In our speech. In our testimony. Always comes back to the glory of God. This first. This first. I was a sinner, saved by grace. Oh no, I am a sinner, saved by God's grace through the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom to satisfy the justice and demands. It's never me looking at myself going, I've got it all figured out, I am holy, I am pure, you out there, you the sinner. No. Paul says, 
I am the chief. Not before he was converted, but afterwards. This is the message of which we are appointed to go. Not, I'm better with you, come join me because I know how to do it. No, I'm a sinner just like you. The difference is Jesus Christ has paid my ransom fee. And now it's my duty, it's my responsibility, it's my honor, it is my joy. I am not lying to tell others this good news. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. But what had the angel announced? Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. And this is going to be the sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There is but one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Amen? Amen. That's the reason we celebrate the season. Let's turn in our...